Deuteronomy, Retail, Retail Torah. Introducing a first week of three days pep talk on June 30th of 2022, coming into a long weekend with some long comments. You know how to read. At least you can decipher these characters on a screen into English language words. You have read Bibles and books in Bibles or about Bibles. Here are hints to participate in this reading. It's not the right way, just offer an invitation. Karen Armstrong's 2019 book, The Art of Scripture, reminds us that reading did not always mean a solitary act by an individual silently poring over a page. It was audible performance art, meant to be experienced among other hearers. Everett Fox's translation, used in the audio versions here, and previously through this new year 2022, from January until the end of June, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, reposted and podcast daily from share the assumption about the sound and the rhythms of Torah in Hebrew and tries to echo them in English. You may prefer Robert Alter's efforts as less strange yet poetic. This is a parochial, devotional reading. We read in a local church neither as academic experts nor as ecclesiastical bureaucrats. We are neither modern objective scholars studying primitive anthropology nor political leaders of religious factions and fanatics ambitious to dominate others or sheep steal. This is not pietistic, romantic, or therapeutic reading. We don't defend the facticity of this text as the Word of God literal history, but seek its truth as a tradition of informing and expressing our collective experience of humanity and divinity. What did it mean then to them or now to us? Reading is better with company. Find another person or people to share this reading. Here with me, if necessary. Listen to audio as others read aloud. Or download my audio files, if necessary. Replays are not only permitted, but encouraged in various format. Yes, use your own Bible. Note what translation it is. Consider other translations. Note what edition it is, the size of font, the numbers of footnotes, or other reading aids. Read online, too, but hard copy helps. Curate your choices with others, lest you hear any one reader drowning out the text. Yes, you will benefit from maps. There are a lot of proper nouns in this book, referring to characters and to places. The hearers of any reading are assumed to have a frame of reference between their ears. How is yours different from mine? Ours now, unlike theirs then? Nope, 
I don't know when Deuteronomy was first written. The idea of voices or source traditions woven into Taurus in a chorus is helpful to me. Yahwist with a J, Eloist with a E, Deuteronomist with a D, and priestly voices with a P. Guess which voice is dominant in this book called Deuteronomy? It sings with the other voices. The final edition of Deuteronomy implies that the editors already knew of the fall of the northern kingdom to Assyria and likely of the exile to Babylon from Jerusalem and Judah. Moses keeps warning, particularly in the closing chapters, that we will break covenant and reap consequences. Postmodern reading assumes that the author of a text determines its meaning, not simply the original writer, but the reader. Our tradition denies that God dictated by verbal inspiration to one man at a time, like Moses, to voice God like a ventriloquist dummy. We construe meaning together. Repeatedly, this book invites us to participate in a reader's theater, making a story set in another time and place among another people into a dramatic enactment for today, here, among us. Choose a role for yourself, among one of the tribes, in one of the clans, and then suspend disbelief. I try to keep these daily notes in a range of closer to 500 words after today, which is on the brink of a long weekend and I am rambling. I keep them focused, I hope, on the chapter of text each day. Most days, the audio for one chapter is about five minutes. The introductory four chapters are longer, closer to ten minutes. The full text of this week's three introductory chapters in New Revised Standard Version, NRSV translation, is printed below, and then a chapter each day. Or just click here on the page to download the audio. My voice reading Everett Fox's Shockin' Bible translation. We'll set the imaginary scene of Moses addressing Israel after 40 desert years before they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. Did it ever happen? I don't think so. Is there truth in it? I believe so. Moses sums up the headlines of a story of how he and his people got to there here and now. It invites us to make connections with our own stories as a community at the end of something, on the brink something more. We who retell and retail this book as our story are not experts or academics or bureaucratic leaders. We share the traditions already of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers from January through June. Why this review? Why retell, retail Torah? When you see a remake of a movie or a restaging of a Shakespeare play in Stratford, you compare it to the earlier versions, eh? This book assumes that you know the previous four books of Torah and that you have heard and will hear this book 
repeatedly. How have you read Deuteronomy before? How have you changed or your context, including me being the reader or the audio or the notes this time? Who else has claimed to perform the correct version of this reading? The story goes that everybody who left Egypt died in the wilderness, including Moses. Moses got to see the promised land, but another generation, led by Joshua, entered it. Which generation are you now, this time? Before the text begins, I've added a poem from Dorothy Zell, part of Revolutionary Patience, published over 40 years ago. She writes, Perhaps we pictured things too simply, Way back then, when we set out on a long march through the desert to find better ways to live with each other. O oh Lord, we thought, let us become instruments of your peace. But what followed was tiresome conflict with authorities that want order, not peace. The daily struggle for small victories and the terrible sense of being abandoned then the instruments of peace became disruptive and tiresome obstacles to harmonious accord. Many have known all along that nothing can be done from within the church. Who can live on manna year after year if he sees no point in what he's doing? Many are fed up and wish they were back in Egypt where tithes flowed like milk and honey, and the churches were filled, and the hymns rang out loud and clear because everybody knew them. How much longer is this march to last? What does that mean, forty years? Is it only our generation that will be squandered, or the next one too, and what for? Can the goal justify a whole lifetime of work and conferences? Will we ever get beyond numbness? Nothing but sand and stones, no human beings who will stick with us in our work, help us speak clearly and openly. We receive little help from below, are seldom understood by our peers, and those above fall back on the old trick of deeming any substantive question a breach of discipline. That's how they assert their authority, maintain order, and keep away from the pulpit the rude speech of the common people. The desert through which we wander, restless, fearful, impotent, confused. O oh Lord, make us into instruments of your peace, instruments of conflict, not harmony, Inter instruments of truth, not obfuscation, instruments of happiness, not stupefaction. Let's see if that can't be done. We have to talk over with you, God, what we'll need for peace. We'll need a lot more friends if we're going to make more peace. Friends from different classes, even if they don't read Thomas Mann. Friends from different churches, even if they do have rosaries. Friends of both sexes, even gays and lesbians. Friends with different interests, even if we don't like them. Friends who share a vision of peace that can be achieved. Friends who believe. Keep us 
from the romantic illusion God that friendships are made in heaven and from the conservative illusion that they grow slowly over the years like trees. Teach us to see that friendship is work and has to be built like everything that is good for us. We need friends who are not putty in other ones' hands, who have a voice and a say, who side with the penalized, who grow more and more fearless, and so spread peace. On this Canada Day weekend, let's admit, the literal application of this text by a modern nation-state is absurd and offensive, as if you think it's a transcript of a single speech by Moses to 600,000 warriors on the banks of the Jericho-Jordan crossing. By the time it was written and edited, the Davidic sovereign nations were gone. The people was a subordinate to other empires, coexisting with neighbors, as in fact even David and Solomon and their successors had to accommodate neighbors among and around them. This operatic opening scene gives us an aged Moses on the east bank of the Jordan addressing the twelve tribes arrayed in battle order. It's already a fiction, whatever the shreds of related historic events of migration in tribes into Palestine, the formation of their alliances. The text frames a common foundational myth, inviting us all to claim it today. In liturgical repetition over millennia, each generation in any time and place can identify with this ancestral covenant. We were serfs in Egypt, and God liberated us and formed us in a wilderness wandering. Perhaps this season, with news headlines of hereditary leaders of indigenous nations challenging our modern nation-state, with its colonial imperial roots, we recognize competing claims to legitimate authority in our own nation, provinces, corporations, and our own First Nations. In earlier readings of Joshua and Judges, I called it Settlers and Anarchists, and in readings of the other four books of Torah, we joked over and over about the glib liberal talk about diversity in comparison to these voices. Militant diction, including genocide and capital punishment, are taboo among us. But rabbinic tradition in Talmud and Halakha offers us galut, or exile, no longer or not yet, as our context for reading laws that cannot be adjudicated or enforced by the leaders of this people in this time, in this place. The state of Galut is the consequence of broken covenant and invites us to imagine as if or what if. Christian tradition frames something similar in contrasting Caesar's rule with the reign of God in the Gospels. Augustine framed it in the contrast between the city of God, the heavenly city, and the earthly cities, like his own besieged Roman provincial capital in Africa, Hippo. Mishnah, Talmud, Mishnah Torah, elaborate reasoning about the laws of stoning, as if the temple stood, the Jewish people were sovereign in the land, as if the Sanhedrin exercised its power, and as if Jewish criminal law was routinely enforced. 
even though they weren't, they aren't, and God willing, they won't be. These laws are read down to qualify and narrow even the imaginary exercise of military or judicial violence, let alone interpersonal violence. They elaborate demands of procedural justice, moderation of punishment, with exceptions and alternatives. It's transferable wisdom. Try it for a bit this month, this summer. We Christians have much to confess about the abuse of our tradition through millennia of Christendom, the alliance between state power and religious organizations. Even today, our co-religionists indulge in unholy alliances with the modern state of Israel. Twist in these texts. My duty and your obligation is bigger than simply dismissing these texts or others' interpretations of them. We owe it to ourselves and to each other, to the world, and for God's sake, a plausible reading in the first person, present tense, as individuals in our community. It's a moral imperative, eh? Mutatis mutandis, we must get our act together regarding the Torah, or law and gospel, in our conversation with Islam. Some of our worst bigotry, as liberals, is exposed in our reactionary rejection of Sharia law and the many schools of jurisprudence based in Quran and Hadith, which have millennia now of implementation. Not all bad. Part of living in a postmodern reality is this return to overlapping jurisdictions, multiple authorities, competing legitimating of claims to shape moral norms. The conversation between moralities demands ethical sophistication. This ad fontes exercise, exploring sources and authorities, may help. Often I find the image of overlapping spheres or Venn diagrams of intersecting groups helps this discussion. Even Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict, affirmed that our identity is built from all our identifications, the intersectional identities of today's left wing in the mouth of a relatively conservative pope. No, I am not promoting prohibition of wearing mixed fabrics or prohibition of cross-dressing. No, I am not advocating capital punishment or inciting genocidal religious wars. No, I do not endorse misogyny and patriarchy, though I confess my complicity with both. Why don't you? For those of you who survived this long introduction, welcome to Retail Retail Torah. Are you ready? Me neither. What word do you have?